today. Pastor on the hot seat. Talking about patience. 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 I have, I've dreaded this day. I felt like calling in sick today because this is the one virtue, one fruit of the Spirit that, man, I have a kink in my armor on. I just, I just, I struggle with patience. 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 So I'm going to be preaching to myself this morning because i got to grow in this area of patience. I tell you what, I, I've, I've tested with patience every time I drive around here. It's crazy. And then people don't even go the speed limit. I'm going, you can at least go to the, I want to, I want to do a citizen's arrest because they're not going the speed limit. Are you serious? It says 45 and you're going 30. What is the matter with you? We had someone on the way to church here that did that to us, and we were one lane, and we couldn't get around them, you know, the double lanes and stuff. And I was like, Ugh, and then I go, oh, I'm teaching our patience this morning. Amazing. I'll go to a gas station, and I'll, 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 I'll get a cookie or whatever, and there's a person in front of me, and the cashier wants to have this long dialogue with the person in front of me, going, your job is to take their money and get them out of here. Come on! And, and messes with my whole emotional equilibrium. Because they're not doing their job and getting them out of here. Patience. Patience. I know I said someone over here say, calm down, Pastor John. Because <laughs> it's a patience thing. So we're going to talk about patience this morning. We're in this series on uh, living the abundant life. Jesus said, I'm, I've, uh, the thief, the devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more what? Abundantly. We've been studying that the fruits of the Spirit is a part of living in the abundant life. Galatians chapter 5 said that as we walk in the Spirit, as we have a Spirit-filled life, as we're people that are governed by God's Holy Spirit and allowing God's Holy Spirit to do its work in our lives, what happens? We get fruits. Jesus said, if any man abides in me, I'll abide in him and he will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And as we abide in Jesus, have this ongoing relationship with him, he produces these fruits. Fruits like love, joy, peace. We've already seen those three already. And then patience. And that's what we're going to look at today. And it ain't easy. Because we're living in a culture that caters to impatience. I was thinking about that this week. How does our culture cater to impatience? Well, there's uh, fax machines. There's FedEx. There's Amazon Amazon Prime, get it the next day. There's email instead of uh, snail mail. There's microwave ovens. Check this out. There's minute rice. There's instant coffee. Although it's not any good, but it's instant. And then there's, there's, uh, I mean, just think of fast food. I remember when we first moved here to the south, we went to a Burger King the first week we were down here. And it took 20 minutes for the person behind the thing to make us a Whopper. I'm going, you should change the name of your restaurant. You're no longer fast food. The impatience thing again. But we have a culture that caters to impatience. And you know what the Bible says about patience? Preaching to myself. Proverbs 16:32 uh, NLT version says, better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. Proverbs 14.29, NIV version says, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick temper displays folly. Interesting. Patience, it's a part of living in wisdom. And you know what? The Lord spoke to my heart this week as I was studying this. I had to study it all week long. 
And as I was studying it, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, John, you need to grow in this area of patience, and you need to trust me to mature you more in this virtue and this fruit of the Spirit of being a more patient man. And so I'm, and you know what? I'm not the only one in this room that needs more patience. Y'all need it too. And we're going to learn that this morning. And we're going to see the importance of patience, first of all, with God. Second of all, patience with circumstances. And then third of all, patience with, with others. That's a tough one too, isn't it? Patience with God, actually this order, patience with God, patience with others, and then patience with circumstances. And we're going to look at James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, great scripture on patience. Now, patience is important not only spiritually, patience is important physically. Did you know that? I was reading this week, uh, there's two doctors that did a study on this, Rosenman and Friedman, and they said this, that 90% of all heart attack victims have a type A personality which is marked by habitual impatience. Interesting. 90% of heart attack victims are type A personalities, and one of the key characteristics of many type A personalities are driven people, they're habitually impatient. So this is not only good for us spiritually, it's good for us physically and for our health. Not only our spiritual health, but our physical health. So patience. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. If you're there, say amen. Let's read it together. Just read along with me as I read it. You don't have to read it out loud. But therefore, be patient, brethren. It's up on the screen, too. Until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soul, being patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who have endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job. You've seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing, that the Lord is full of compassion, and he's merciful. He's merciful. Now, uh, interesting scripture here, because three times... Um, or actually uh, four times in the five verses, the word patience is being used. Four times in five verses. Emphasis on patience. And the first thing it says about patience, I believe what it's speaking of is the first thing we need patience with is patience with God. Do you know that? And what it's talking about is he's talking to Christians that were being tried in the area of patience with their God. You know why? Because they were Jewish Christians. And they had become out of their Judaism, they had become Christians, and now uh, they were dispersed abroad. James chapter 1, verse 1, talks about their situation. It says, James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Dispersed abroad, it means scattered. They're scattered out of their hometowns. They're scattered out of their businesses. And, and why were they scattered? Because they were being persecuted because of their Christianity now that they had converted to out of Judaism. And what's going on with them is they were losing everything. They were losing their homes, their towns, their family members. They were seeing Christians being martyred. And James is reminding them here in this scripture we read this morning, hey, be patient with God in the midst of the circumstances of persecution that you're in. And it's interesting. What he says is part of being patient with God is to remember that there's early rains and there's latter rains. It goes back to our verses again. It says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. So 
the analogy, agrarian society. There was a culture where a lot of farming was going on. And the farmers knew. A part of farming was there's early rains. The early rains were, you know, um, uh, in October, November. And then winter would come. And they just had to trust the Lord for the growth of their crops when everything died. And then the latter rains would come, and that would be in April and May. April showers bring Mayflowers. And so they would, they would sow seeds in the fall. They'd sow seeds in the spring. And then they'd just wait upon the Lord patiently for the harvest to come in. Interesting, there could be an analogy there too, saying that, because it's talking about the coming of the Lord, saying that the early rains were the first century when revival was going on, and the reign of the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost, but the latter rains could be a reference to that right before the rapture, there's going to be, I believe there's going to be one more great revival, and there's going to be a turning to Christ like never before, the latter rains. And, and, it's, and what James is telling us and telling the Christians of the first century, wait upon the Lord's timing. Wait upon, and hey, in the midst of your persecution, in the midst of your tough times, in the midst of your tribulations, trust the Lord. God's timing is always perfect. And it, what you need to do in the midst of whatever hard situations you're in, you need to keep scattering the seed, being the witnesses God's called you to be, sowing seeds in other people's lives, and then trust the Lord for the result, and then be excited about the coming of the Lord, because soon and very soon, you're going to see your king. And when you see him, you will be like him, and the trials and the tough times and the circumstances, they'll be taken care of, because Jesus said heaven is going to be characterized by no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more sin. We're going to see him as he is, and we too will be like him, and he's going to wipe away every tear. And we're going to be in a place that Jesus called paradise. The coming of the Lord is near. And that will help us as the Lord's timing is not our timing. And this is important because we need to understand, sometimes we lose patience with God. God doesn't come through like the way we want him to come through. And in the midst of that, we got to, in that verse, it says we need to strengthen our hearts, keep trusting God for the harvest, keep scattering seed, and keep waiting upon the soon return of Jesus Christ. And that'll bring hope in the midst of disappointment with, with what's going on with God. You know what, it's so important for us to do this because sometimes God's timing is not our timing, isn't it? The Bible says Isaiah 55, 55, God's ways are higher than our ways and God's thoughts are greater than our thoughts. And what it's saying in Isaiah 55, sometimes his ways are different than our ways. And listen, listen, God's God's delays are not God's denials. We gotta trust that sometimes we just gotta wait upon the Lord. What does Isaiah chapter 40 say? Those that wait upon the Lord, they'll gain new strength, they'll mount up with wings like eagles, they'll run and not get weary, and they'll walk and not faint. And what that scripture is saying is a part of faith is when the circumstances that God is putting you through you don't like, and, you're, and God's not, timing is not your timing, you're still gonna trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he'll direct your paths, right? That's what faith is all about. And it's not easy. Because some of us, and some of you here this morning, you've been waiting for, for someone you care about to come to Christ. And they're lost. And you've been planting seeds. Well, here's what, here's what the word, word of the Lord is saying to you this morning on that. Strengthen your hearts. Keep walking close to Jesus. Keep praying for that person. Keep sowing seeds in our life and wait for the coming of the Lord. 
Lord's coming is near, it's at hand. Hmm. I'm John G. Hoppy III. Nickname was Chip growing up because I was Chip off the old block. And my grandpa, who I'm named after, was a man of God. He was, he was a Christian. And I remember every summer he had a cottage on Hills Lake up by Wild Rose, Wisconsin. And he'd invite all the grandkids up and all the aunts and uncles and my parents up. Sometimes I'd spend a whole month up there in August. And it was, it was paradise here on earth. It was an amazing place. It was a, it was a spring-fed, sand bottom, one of the cleanest lakes I've ever seen. It, it puts Lake Murray to shame. It's a beautiful lake. And I remember growing up, going to Grandpa's cottage on Hills Lake, and we would uh, we'd fish. We'd fish for bluegill. I think you call them down here brim. And, and, and the best time to fish was after dinner because the sun would start going and getting dusk, right, and the fish would start biting. And I remember every single time we'd have dinner with Grandpa, you know, we'd have 13 grandkids sometimes, and, and, and we would have to wait for him to pull out, the, pull out his drawer where the Bible was at, his daily bread, and he'd pull out the Bible, put it on the dining room table, pull out the daily bread, and he'd read Scripture. And then after he'd read Scripture, what he would do is he'd pray for us as grandkids and pray over us. What's Grandpa Hoppy doing there? He's planting seeds. He's planting seeds in all of us grandkids. And here's what, here's what he was a patient man with us too because I remember another time after I got a little bit older, Grandpa Hoppy visiting us in Oak Park, Illinois, my parents' house, and I was lost as a rock. I was a 16-year-old, just rebellious teenager. And I remember Grandpa Hoppy coming and they stayed overnight. Grandpa and Grandma Hoppy stayed overnight on that Friday night at our house, 315 North Euclid. And, and I, I had stuff going on. Friday night, so after I did dinner with everybody, I went out with my friends, and we partied hard and everything else. I didn't get home till 3 o'clock in the morning, 16-year-old. And I had pretty liberal parents. They didn't, they had let me, cut me loose already. And I remember sneaking in the house at 3 o'clock in the morning, trying to be as quiet as a mouse. Grandpa Hoppy heard me. Because you know what he did the next morning? How dare him? He woke me up! So, Chip, let's go. We're going for a walk. And he talked to me. He said, Chip, I need to tell you something. Nothing good happens after midnight. And what are you doing being 16 years old and coming at 3 o'clock in the morning? And I just shut my mouth, said, Ooh, you know, and didn't do anything. But you know what? I was lost, and he had planted seeds in my life for years. But that next year, you know what happened? I came to Christ. And a lot of my coming to Christ was not only the guy that was witnessing to me, but the seeds that were planted by Grandpa Hoppy and his prayers for me growing up. And I remember uh, right after I came to Christ, within six months, Young Life, which led me to Christ, had a fundraising banquet. And they encouraged us as new Christians to invite, you know, relatives or whatever else to the fundraising banquet. I invited Grandpa Hoppy to that banquet. And I stood, they had me stand up on the stage of this banquet and give my personal testimony of how I'd come to Christ in the last year. And Grandpa Hoppy was beaming. And he gave a very significant contribution that day, too. It was amazing. He was so happy, so happy that his seeds that he planted had come to fruition. And he, he waited for years for that to happen. And then I ended up going to seminary, becoming a pastor. And I remember after I graduated from seminary, Grandpa Hoppy wrote us a check. We got the very first computer for the church we had started in San Diego, California from Grandpa Hoppy. It was one of those 128K Macintoshes. You remember those little boxes with the drives and stuff? And that was Grandpa Hoppy supporting our ministry 
after, he came, after uh, I'd gone to seminary. But listen, what Grandpa Hoppy did was he scattered seed, he stayed strong in his faith, and he kept praying for and, and, and sharing Christ and the Word of God with us as grandkids. And listen, three of the 13 grandchildren now, because of the seeds that he planted, are in full-time ministry. It's amazing. It's amazing. So let me tell you something here. Some of you here this morning, you got people in your life, and you're waiting upon God, and God's not coming through, and they're, they're, they're wandering, and they're prodigal, and whatever else, the Word of God says be patient with God. His delays are not his denials. His timing might not be your timing. Strengthen your heart. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Keep praying for those people. Keep scattering seeds in their life. Keep reaching out to them. Keep being strong spiritually yourself because your example is going to be caught more than taught. And keep being patient with God, with those people that aren't yet Christians that you love. Let me pray for you a second for that too. Because I think there's a bunch of people in this room that are just saying, yes, I need more patience with God's timing and I need strength and heart in this situation with this person in my life. So let's pray for that right now. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much, God, for your kindness that leads to repentance. We thank you, God, that you've brought many of us in this room to Christ and you were patient with us, Lord, in our coming to Christ. Now, Lord, would you help us to be patient with you and the timing that you have for those people that we care about. And Father, help us to keep planting seeds in people's lives that we care about. Help us to keep strengthening our hearts. Help us to keep remembering soon and soon, very soon, we're gonna see our King, King Jesus. And Lord, help us again just to trust you with this, Lord, and rely upon you and your timing, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said. So, Waiting upon God, patience with God. It's an expression of our faith. Because Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, says this, faith is an assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not yet seen. And that's a part of being patient with God. You're going to keep your hope. You're going to keep your assurance. You're going to keep trusting. And people of God all throughout the centuries have been people, even throughout the pages of Scripture, who are patient with God. I'll give you some examples Noah waited 100 years for the rain to come, and he just built the ark while he was waiting on God's timing on that. Moses spent 40 years waiting to deliver God's people from slavery in Egypt. Abraham spent 25 years, 25 years, waiting for the birth of his son, who was promised uh, uh, was going to be, the, be the, the heir apparent of it, the people of God. 25, and by the way, he was 100 years old by the time God came through on that promise of uh, Isaac. People of God waited for centuries for the Messiah to come. And the New Testament disciples, they spent 120 days in an upper room waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a precedence in Scripture on waiting upon the Lord. And we need to be people that wait and trust and keep strengthening our walks with God as we trust God with our future and our future situations. Great example of that. John chapter 11, Mary and Martha, two sisters that were very close to Jesus. They were disciples of Jesus. Oftentimes when Jesus did ministry in Jerusalem, uh, Mary and Martha would host uh, Jesus in Bethany, which was only a, a couple miles from Jerusalem. It was a safety issue. And so Jesus would end up at Mary and Martha's house, but Mary and Martha had a brother. His name was Lazarus. And Lazarus got sick. Remember the story, John chapter 11. Jesus was off doing ministry. He didn't come in time 
to save Lazarus from his sickness. He died. And when he got there, one of the sisters said to Jesus, Jesus, if you had just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection of life. And he who believes in me, even though he dies, shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he did that great scene in John chapter 11 of going to the tomb of Lazarus, saying, Lazarus, come forth. It's a good thing he didn't just say, come forth. All these dead people would start coming out of tombs. He said, Lazarus, named him out. And as he named him out, Lazarus, after four days of being dead, comes forward. And he's alive. And he's resuscitated from death. I can't wait to get to heaven to see the video vault on that. And he still had, his, still had his, his, his dead clothes on. He was like a mummy coming out of there. And then just a little bit later in the, in the Gospels, we see Lazarus sitting with Jesus at a din, dining, dining room table, eating with Jesus. Can you, can you imagine the discussion they had after that? Amazing. But there's a picture for you. Some of you have people in your life that are dead spiritually. Wait upon the Lord's timing. Keep praying for them. Keep scattering seeds of God's word and truth in their lives. Keep strengthening your own heart so you're the example you're supposed to be. Keep trusting the Lord is at hand. His coming's gonna be right around the corner and believe in God and his timing for that person that you care about. Amen? Patience with God. Second thing you need patience with is patience, oh, patience with people. That's a tough one, isn't it? A little bit easier to be impatient with God because God's patient with us. But look at the next verse, verse 9. It says, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Part of being impatient with people, we start complaining about them, and we start, listen, we start judging them. Judging people is a sign you're being impatient with them. Listen, the Bible says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And Jesus made it very clear in, in Matthew chapter 7 about not judging people. He said, Matthew 7, 1 through 5, do not judge so, so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure will be uh, measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eyes, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. Behold, the log's in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You know what the scripture is saying? It says oftentimes we judge people, we complain about people, because we're looking at their sin as a lot worse than our sin. And oftentimes we got a literal translation there, we have a rafter in our eye, and we're going after a speck in other people's lives. And it's not easy. It's not easy to, to be merciful and gracious towards people that are bugging you. But that's part of living in patience, isn't it? And a part of being a Christ follower is we don't judge people, we don't complain about people, we love people. Because Jesus said, by this all men will know you are my disciples. By your impatience with people. Oh, nope, that's not what he said. All men will know you are my disciples by your love. Love for one another. And a part of living in love, we learned in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we, we're told the first thing that characterized God's love in our lives is love, 1, 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love is patient. Another version, King James Version, says love is long-suffering. 
suffereth long. Ooh, that's hard. John, you're meddling. Stepping on tones. No, I'm not. The Word of God might be. But I, it's, we need to be people that suffer long with other people. Why? Because God suffers long and is patient with us. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God doesn't want any to perish but all to come to repentance. And the reason why he hasn't come back yet because he's patiently waiting for more people to repent. Think about how patient God has been with you. Think about how patient God's been with me. And that motivates me and spurs me on to be more patient with people. And again, it ain't easy. It ain't easy to be patient with people when people are taking their time and doing things that we go, oh, about. But you know what I've seen? It's a lot easier when we understand that that we're forgiving ourselves all the time for mistakes we make. We need to cut people the same slack and don't look at their sin as worse than our sin. Right? Take the rafter out of your own eye before you go after the speck that's in your brother's eyes. Interesting. Patience with people. Hmm. Romans chapter 2, verses 3 to 4, talks about God's patience also. Romans chapter 2, 3 to 4 says, But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you'll escape the judgment of God? Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness, his tolerance, and his what? Patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Patience, patience. Wow, it's interesting. Um, Pastor Chuck, founder of Calvary Chapel, great example to me of a man of patience, man of grace. He had a saying, if I'm going to err with people, I'm going to err on the side of grace. And he did. I remember in the 1980s, as I was first getting exposed to Calvary Chapel out in California, there was a split in the whole denomination or the whole affiliation of churches of Calvary Chapel. What happened was this gentleman came on the scene and his church in Yorba Linda, California, it was Calvary Chapel, Yorba Linda, it just exploded. Thousands of people, young people, it just got really big. And it was a daughter church of the main church, Pastor Chuck's church in Costa Mesa. It was under the flagship of Calvary Chapel. But then this pastor started going a different direction. He wanted to emphasize signs and wonders and miracles. And I believe in signs and wonders. I believe in miracles. But the whole emphasis of his church started becoming signs and wonders and miracles where the emphasis of Calvary Chapel has been and always will be, what? The Word of God. And so this pastor met with Pastor Chuck and Pastor Chuck said, hey, we gotta get, you know, gotta get your church back to really just studying the Word of God and emphasizing the teaching of God's Word and everything else. And the pastor told Pastor Chuck, I'm not gonna do that. My emphasis is going to be miracles and healing and signs and wonders. Again, we're for that in Calvary Chapel, but it has to be tempered with the balance of the teaching of the Word of God. So this pastor said, no, I'm not going to do that. And Pastor Chuck said, well, then you're going to have to change your name. He did. Changed it to a whole different name, and they became a, a different movement of churches. And the unfortunate thing that happened was uh, literally hundreds of Calvary chapels decided to go with this new movement. And so there's a split in our whole affiliation of churches. Hundreds. And you know what Pastor Chuck did? God bless you. Showed grace. Didn't speak out against the pastor at all. Now some of the younger pastors at the time, oh, I remember Raul Reese, this uh, uh, Hispanic pastor who's just on fire, firecracker is what he is. And I remember, remember Raul Reese, he'd be on the radio. I remember listening to him when this whole thing was going on in this split of churches, and Raul Reese started just calling this pastor out and saying, this is Absalom, and whoa, like this, you know. 
But Pastor Chuck, just turn the other cheek. And amazing, listen, the guy that started this church and then split the affiliation of churches uh, was a songwriter. And one of his songs was a song Pastor Chuck loved. It's called The Spirit Song. And to this day, Pastor Chuck's past could be in heaven, but his radio program around the world begins and ends with this pastor's song that he wrote. That's grace, man. I, even, I, I would have changed the song probably after he split our, our affiliation of churches, but no, he showed grace. And listen, this, this also happened. This is interesting. What happened was many of these pastors that left Calvary Chapel after the steam died in this new movement of churches, they decided they wanted to get back to the teaching of God's word. They wanted to become Calvary Chapels again, and they came back to Pastor Chuck. And you know what Pastor Chuck did? Welcome back, guys. Showed total patience and mercy and love towards these pastors that had just left. That's grace. And if he was going to err, he's going to err on the side of grace. So church, let's follow that example. Let's be patient with people. Let's not complain and judge other people. Let's remember God's patient with us. His kindness is ultimately what's led to our repentance. And let's err, if we're going to err, let's err on the side of grace with people. Amen? The word patience literally can be translated as macrothumos. It means to be long-tempered, long to anger. That's what it means, long-fuse. And that comes into play when we're dealing with people because people will tick us off sometimes, right? And a part of living in patience is we have, we're long-tempered. We're long, long to be angry. Okay, let's close it up now. Now, as an example now, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured, who have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is what? Merciful, merciful. So we've seen patience with God, patience with our circumstances, or, or patience with other people. Patience with God, patience with other people. Now we're looking at patience. This is a tough one. This is really hard. Patience with our circumstances. Sometimes life isn't easy. You know what Jesus said? In this world you will have tribulation, trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And when t- life is tough, Sometimes it's just hard to be patient with our circumstances. Two examples he gives, prophets and Job. Prophets all throughout the Old Testament were those people, men of God, that God raised up to say, thus saith the Lord to God's people. And as they said, thus saith the Lord, time after time, we see throughout the Old Testament, they bring God's word to God's people, and several times throughout the Old Testament, God's people would reject God's direct word through the prophet, and they go with false prophets instead. And guys like Jeremiah, were, Jeremiah's nickname was the weeping prophet. You know why? Because he wept over these people who were rejecting the messages from God. But you know what? Jeremiah didn't quit. Jeremiah kept preaching. And he kept bringing, thus saith the Lord to God's people, even after God's people threw him in prison and, and persecuted the prophets. You know what? The other example there is Job. Oh, Job is a great example of someone who is patient with his circumstances. The Bible says uh, Job uh, was a man of God to the point that his offerings, he gave offerings and sacrifices for his kids early in the morning before anybody, you know, be, at the break of dawn, he'd be giving sacrifices and offerings for his kids. He was a righteous man. But the book of Job says that Satan had a meeting with God. And God was calling out Satan, talking about how righteous Job was. Let me read it to you. Job chapter 1. 
should be up on the screen. The Lord said, uh, to, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Interesting. Have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Interesting. God's saying, hey, you're trying to destroy people's lives. You're trying to get people to live under the curse. But I got this guy, Job. He's a righteous man. Have you considered him? Look what Satan says. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him in his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but put forth your hand now, touch all that he has, he will surely curse you to your face. And then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Do you remember what happens in the story after that? Job loses just about everything. He loses his livestock. He loses his riches. He loses his house. His house comes tumbling down. He loses his kids are killed. He, loses, he even loses his health to the point that he has to take potsherds and wipe these boils that are just afflicting him. Lost everything. Well, he didn't lose one thing. He didn't lose a wife. That looked at him, I know, women, give me a break here, but this is true, this happened. His wife looked at him and said, with your circumstances, why don't you just curse God and die? I, wow. I would have had some words with that lady, I think. You know what Job said? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord has blessed me, now the Lord's seen fit that I go through these circumstances. I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to bless him. Interesting. It says later in Job, Job declared this. He said, even if you slay me, O God, yet will I put my trust in you. Now listen, Job had some, some issues. I mean, he was complaining at times throughout the book of Job. He was questioning God about why are these things happening to me? Why have I lost everything? But he never stopped trusting his God. He said, even if you slay me, God, I'm going to trust you. And that's what we need to do if we're going to be patient with our circumstances. We're not going to understand our circumstances. We're not going to like our circumstances. But we need to trust God in those circumstances. The Bible says, James 1, 2 to 4, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be what? Perfect, the word means mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Newsflash, God's more concerned with your Christ-likeness than your comfort. God's more concerned of, sometimes he allows those trials to be fire, First Peter says, fiery trials that produce a golden-like faith in your life because you've been purified through the fire of those trials. And sometimes the hard times come because God's doing some work in our character, in our Christ-likeness, and that's where we've got to trust him. It's a testing of our faith. But as we trust him and we pass the test of faith, we become mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So we've got to be patient with those circumstances because God will use them. But here's the thing. It's a test. Are you going to trust him? Or are you going to get bitter instead of better? If I gotta go through trials, I at least wanna get better instead of bitter, right? I wanna become more Christ-like. Went to the beach for a couple days, Monday and Tuesday this week, and just wanted to get away with Heidi, and we're driving in the car, 
and my hero came on the radio. James Dobson was, being, was interviewing Johnny Erickson Tata. And, oh, I tuned in. And I listened to her just talk about her faith. Listen, she's been a or quadriplegic, neck down, no movement, for 50 years now. Amazing faith. And she talked about her faith. And one of the things she shared, she's very honest. She shared when she was a teenager and she broke her neck diving into a lake and hitting a boulder or whatever's in the water. She shared about, at first, she really struggled with her circumstances. To the point, she said on this radio show, that she was dealing with with clinical depression to the point that she wanted to die. She wanted to die. She was asking friends to bring their mom's sleeping pills in bottles to her room so that she could kill herself because she didn't want from her neck down to be without motion for the rest of her life. But she said this. She said the culture at the time was different than the culture now. There's all this mercy killing and Dr. Gavorkians and everything else now. She said at the culture at the time, no, no, no. They were for life. And she was an advocate on this radio show that we need to get back to the sanctity of human life. But she also shared on this radio show, and she shared before, I've heard her say, she said after she got through that depression and she said, I'm going to endure, just like the patience of Job, he endured. She said, I'm going to endure. And I'm going to, I'm going to do something with this life because I only have one life to live. And if I'm in a wheelchair, I'm going to do what God's called me to do in this wheelchair. And you know what she went on to say later? She said, my wheelchair has become my pulpit. Because through this wheelchair, she's been able to round the world, minister to handicapped people, and tell them, hey, in your circumstances, they're tough, but you need to endure. God's got a plan. He's got a future. He's got a hope. He's got something going with you, these circumstances. And trust him in that. And God will, just like me, he'll do great things in you and through your life. And she's been an incredible example of that because she's impacted, I believe, millions of lives and thousands and thousands of handicapped people's lives and imparted faith and hope to those people. We need to do the same. You know, your greatest witness isn't when everything is going well in your life. Your greatest witness is the test of your faith in trials where you hang on to that faith and trust them even though life isn't going the way you want it to go. Christians are like teabags. You don't know what's in them until they're in hot water. Amen? Amen? So let's trust them. Let's be people of faith. Let's endure. Let's be like Job. And, and you know what, what's cool about Job? He endured. He trusted God. And in the end, he sees, according to these verses in James, he saw the compassion and the mercy and the outcome of the Lord's dealing with him. Listen to what happened to Job at the end of this whole scenario of losing everything. It says in Job chapter 42, verse 10, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. And then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before him came to him, and they ate bread with him in his house, and they counseled to him and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. And he had seven sons and three daughters, more kids. He named the first Jemiah and the second Keziah and the third Karen Hapuch. In all the land of no woman were found so fair as Job's daughters. And their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived a hundred and... 40 years, and he saw his sons and his grandsons 
four generations. And then Job died, an old man, and what? Full of days. The Lord's merciful. He's compassionate. Another word from the Lord for some of you this morning is hang on. Just hang on. Hang on through the trials you're going through. Realize the outcome with God is going to be mercy and compassion. God's got a plan. He's doing a work in your life. Trust him. Trust him that no matter what curveballs are being thrown in your life right now, God's a God who's going to bless you ultimately. And if he doesn't bless you in this life, he'll bless you in that life. The Bible even says there's special rewards. Uh, James also tells us there's special rewards for those that face trials and they endure. There's a crown in heaven for those people is what Scripture says in James chapter 1, verse 12. Rewards in heaven. So, patience with God, right? Patience with people, right? Patience with what? Circumstances. We, we, an expression of our faith is when we trust God when circumstances are tough. Because faith is an assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not yet seen. Amen? So closing this morning, we've been talking about how we, we need to be patient with God. We need to be patient with people. We need to be patient with circumstances. But listen, listen. God's had to be patient with all of us for repentance. And some of you here this morning, some of you here this morning, God's been knocking on the door of your heart. And he's saying, Let, open your heart to me. Receive my son Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And you know what you've been doing? You've been ignoring the knocking. You've been, and God's, had, God's having to be patient with you. So this morning, I want to encourage you, if God's knocking on the door of your heart, open your heart, man. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, I'll come in. And I'll dine with him and he with me. You know, that's, that's a promise of Scripture, that if you just open your heart to Christ, Christ will come in your heart and give you his love, his forgiveness, his mercy. He'll give you strength. He'll give you power. He'll give you the Holy Spirit. But you've got to open your heart. Some of you here this morning, God's having to be patient with you because you haven't opened your heart yet. Hey, today would be a great day to do that. Amen? If you need to do that this morning, do that this morning. I'll lead you in a prayer where I'll help you open your heart to God's love and God's mercy and to Jesus. Let's pray right now. Father, we just thank you so much, God, for your word. Thank you that your word is truth. Thank you that your word uh, equips us in righteousness, God. Thank you that your word exhorts us to be the people you've called us to be. And Lord, I pray that we would be people that are growing in this virtue and this fruit of the spirit of patience. God, I need it. I, I, I need to be more patient, patient with you, patient with people and patient with circumstances. And I think there's many in this room that uh, agree with me on that too. And so we pray, Lord, for patience. We pray, Lord, that you help us to be long-tempered and more patient as your people, Lord. Father, help us to be people of faith too that trust you even when circumstances are tough. Help us to be people of faith even when your timing is not our timing, Lord. Help us to continue to scatter seeds of truth in people's lives so that people could come and there'd be a harvest of righteousness in their souls, Lord. Help us not to give up on people, Lord. Help us to be patient with you, with people, and our circumstances, God. Impart to us patience where patience hasn't been there before, Lord. And Father, I pray for people here this morning, too, that you've been very patient with, Lord. You've been wanting entrance into their hearts, and they've been just saying no. 
Father, you're knocking on some people's hearts, maybe even this morning. And I pray that today might be their day. Their day to open their heart to God's love, your love, Father. To open their heart to Christ, where they receive into their heart your love, your grace, and your son, Jesus. If you're here this morning and you want to do that, I want to help you with that. I'm going to just lead you in a prayer, and I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand and say, John, I want you to pray for me that I open my heart to Christ and receive Christ this morning. If you want me to want to do that this morning, I'll just lead you in a simple prayer. But I want you to do this. If you want to open your heart to Christ as your Savior and your Lord, I want you just to raise your hand right now so I can pray for you. Just raise your hand right now. Praise the Lord right up here in the front. Where else? Praise the Lord right here in the back, middle. Keep your hands up if you want to receive Christ. Another a girl right there too. Praise the Lord. A young, young boy right here in the back. Just keep your hands raised. And I'll pray for you in just one second. Anybody else? If you want to receive Christ, God's been patient with you, but it's time to open your heart to Christ. If you need to do that, just raise your hand right now, and I'd love to pray for you this morning. Anybody else this morning? Just raise your hand right now. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Another lady right back here in the middle. All right. Anybody else? We're being patient with you. <laughs> You want to raise, raise your hand to receive Christ, just raise your hand right now. All right, for those people that have their hands raised, here's what I want you to do. I want, be, I want you to be bold. I want you to stand up right now, and I'm going to pray for you. Go ahead and stand up, and I'd love to pray for you to receive Christ and open your heart to Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord back here in the back row. A whole family, it looks like. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Just stand up right now if you want to receive Christ. All right, for those that are standing, just uh, just. Pray this prayer out loud with me right now. And I'll pray out loud in church. You could pray with them too. Pray out loud these words. Lord Jesus, I trust you to be my Savior, to be my Lord. I confess you as my Lord today. I believe in my heart that you rose from the grave. And I will live for you the rest of my life. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sin, be my Lord, and be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.